and welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour. I'm your host, Justine Ward, and each week we bring you a classic show from radio's golden age. This week we have an exotic story of love and spycraft, starring Marlena Dietrich. Studio One was an ambitious show that anthologized books and plays into wonderful shows that brought the characters to life with a company of actors who were given credit for their specific character at the end of the show, which was unusual for radio at that time. Fletcher Markle was the Canadian radio genius who appears in the credits as director, but also acted in and wrote many of the episodes. This fine show had a lot of logistical challenges. It didn't appear on the West Coast for quite a while, and it was so well received by the press that they put it opposite Fibber McGee and Molly. Marlena Dietrich certainly brought their ratings up, and in this spy story set in wartime Beirut and Cairo, she introduces her new song, Illusions, which is in the movie A Foreign Affair. Enjoy Studio One, Arabesque, first broadcast June 29th, 1948 on CBS. Miss Marlena Dietrich stars in Arabesque from Studio One at CBS. We believe that someone will approach you. And what do I do when this someone appears? You will receive your instructions at the proper time. And now then, let's forget about this sort of thing. Let's get a taxi and drive out into the country. Don't tell me you want to see the pyramids by moonlight. I want to see you by moonlight. We invite you to Studio One, radio's celebrated playhouse of dramatic entertainment, featuring the world's great novels, stories, and plays in special versions for listening. And now to introduce tonight's great story... Here is the director of Studio One, Fletcher Markle. Your dictionary will tell you that an arabesque is a kind of ornamentation, a fantastic interlacing pattern, and true to form, Mr. Jeffrey Household's new novel of that name is a Middle Eastern web with strands running to Beirut, a Lebanese mountain village, Jerusalem, Cairo, and other waypoints in the wayward wartime year of 1941. First among the personalities of the story is our captivating heroine, Armand Hearn. And tonight, to bring her to life in Vincent McConnor's version for listening of Arabesque, we have with us in Studio One, Miss Marlena Dietrich, for whom the dictionary is no help at all. Fascinating, alluring, mysterious, and exotic are words that are at least trite, if not inadequate, in describing an actress like Miss Dietrich. There's really only one word for the quality that is especially her own. Glamour. I'm sure it was invented for her. With Miss Dietrich tonight, you'll be hearing Gary Merrill as David Nockmias, with Rene Ray as Carrie, Hedley Rennie as Major Honeymill, and I'm going to remain at the microphone with them to play Sergeant Dion Prail. Please to begin. For me, the early days of the war was a life of shadow in a small dark room in the Near East. I had been accused by the Vichy French of being pro-British. They placed me in the Beirut prison, and there I remained until the summer of 1941. 
was a day in June when the commandant of the prison, Major Lujan, had me brought to his office. Mademoiselle Hearn. Major Lujan. You, you have heard the news, I am sure. The prison is filled with rumors. The truth is, Damascus has been freed by the British and the Free French. And what of Beirut? What of the men of Vichy? Our convoy has arrived from France. We are going home. And your prisoners? You are free to go, mademoiselle. The doors of our prison stand open. And you, mon commandant? You too are leaving? A few of us must remain to tidy up loose ends for the English and these, these so-called free Frenchmen. <laughs> I shall depart on the last boat. Good luck, mademoiselle. Good luck, Major Rougeau. As I left the prison, one of the Vichy ships was already steaming out of Beirut Harbor. The blare of a military band came floating across the water. It reminded me of France, of Paris. And it also reminded me that I was free at last, after nearly 12 months of cramped huts behind barbed wire. I was free. And yet, as I walked through the city, I had an uneasy feeling that someone was following me. The native shops were doing business as usual. I paused at one stall to feast my eyes on the great mounds of fresh fruit. This gave me an opportunity to look back at my pursuer. There he was, leaning in the doorway. He was tall and well-made, wearing flannel trousers and a sports coat. Obviously British. His face was peeling from the sun. His eyes looked in every direction except mine. She did not see me even when she stopped at the fruit stand. I was certain of that. I'd been waiting for her when they released her from the prison and had followed her unobserved through the twisting streets of Beirut. As I watched, she purchased some grapes, then turned to signal a passing carriage. The last I saw of the young Englishman, he was desperately looking for another carriage in which to come after me. Only there was no other carriage there in the marketplace. I drove to the Hotel St. George and, without any trouble, obtained a small suite. It had sufficient money for my immediate needs. Later, I would do some shopping. Just now, I needed sleep. The sweet sleep of freedom. It was dusk before I wakened. As I dressed, I heard the lonely sound of a ship's whistle. I stepped out on the terrace beyond my window and saw three ships passing beyond the horns of the bay. They were on their way home, back to France. As I stood there, I became aware of someone in the adjoining terrace. Mademoiselle Armand. Mademoiselle, you are weeping. Major Lujon. I had no idea that we occupied adjoining suites, Mademoiselle. I was given my freedom shortly after you were given yours. The free French did not want my assistance. I depart tomorrow on the last ship. And so we meet again. This gives me an opportunity to offer Mademoiselle my apologies. There's no need. You were always most polite. One does not like to imprison a beautiful woman. It is always so, so useless. Useless? A beautiful woman is above the stupidities of war. Do you know, Major... I never was a British agent. I might have been, if anyone had asked me, or French, but nobody did. Uh, that was stupid of them. Tell me, why did you stay in Syria? There was no other place for me to go. Mademoiselle Lamont, permit me to give you some advice. I would welcome it, Major Lujon. Get yourself something to do. We are all the same, we policemen. 
If a woman is living alone without a source of income, she is suspect. And if you really are not working for the British, you will be just as suspect to them as you were to me. Oh, no. Oh, they will not think you are German agent since you are part French, but they will certainly think you are working for the French or for someone else. So? Mademoiselle, I beg you, get yourself a job. In war, one must not stand out. One must disappear. I ask nothing better. Your phone, Mademoiselle Armand. But no one knows that I'm here. There are many I... who know that Mademoiselle is here. Good luck, Mademoiselle. Au revoir, mon commandant. And remember my advice. Get the job. Yes? Miss Hearn? Yes? This is Sergeant Prale of British Field Security. Oh? I'd like very much to talk to you. I'm in the lobby. Very well. You may come up to my room in five minutes. Thank you, Miss Hearn. Five minutes. I used those minutes to arrange my hair and apply the lipstick I had bought in a shop downstairs. I was studying the curve of my lip in a mirror when Sergeant Prale knocked. I glanced once more at my reflection, then went to open the door. Come in, Sergeant. What was the name? Prale. Dion Prale. Do come in. It was the Englishman in the flannel trousers and sports coat who had followed me from the prison. Close at hand in the half-light of the room, she seemed quite different. She was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. Please sit down. Thank you. I... I can't imagine... What you want to find out from me? I really don't know myself. You ought to know, if you're some sort of a policeman. Oh, I'm not a policeman, not exactly. If you want information about my past, my background, that would be in my dossier at the Sûreté Générale. I've already looked through it. Oh. I might add it's quite unsatisfactory. Is it you want to know? Nothing. But you must have come here with some idea. I did, but I haven't got it any longer. Oh? I have a new idea now. An idea that you are the most charming woman I've ever seen in Beirut. Have you any specific questions you wanted to ask? Well, no, I... I don't think so. Tell your commanding officer that I shall be very pleased to give him any information he wants. Oh, I've bothered you. I'm sorry. You can't help it if it's your duty. Believe me, it is. Please. Please tell me, why did you come here? What did you expect to learn from me? A great many people, Miss Hearn, would have it that you belong to the British Secret Service, as they call it. I've never said or implied such a thing to anyone. Field security would like to know the truth. Who are you working for? For no one. No one? Not even myself. Your word of honor? I swear it. A beautiful woman without a job. Yes. Which reminds me, I've got to find one. Well, perhaps I could help you. I would be most grateful. Is there anything special that you'd like to do, Miss Hearn? No. What are you trained to do? Very little, I'm afraid. Well, have you never had any sort of job? Oh, yes. I came to the Near East as interpreter for an aeroplane manufacturer. What were your duties? <laughs> I, I interpreted. You uh, take shorthand, that sort of thing? I'm afraid not. I see. Well, I'll make some inquiries. That would be very kind. May I see you again? That's up to you, isn't it? Well, I didn't mean it quite that way. What did you mean, Sergeant? I meant that I would like to see you in a little less official manner than this. I'm afraid I can't avoid seeing you, Sergeant, if you wish. I do wish. Good night, Miss Hearn. Good night, Sergeant Prale. 
sergeant left, I returned to the terrace. The evening air was heavy with scent of flowers. I looked across to the next terrace, but Major Lujan was not there. He had been right. I must find a job for myself. Major Lujan suspected that I was working for the British. And they suspected, well, who knows what they suspected. My room was suddenly oppressive, empty and lonely. And so to escape it, I decided to go down to the dining room. A small dance band was playing hopefully, but discordantly. I asked the head waiter to give me a table as far as possible from the music. As I crossed the room, I saw two old friends, David McMyers and his wife, Madame tightly corseted in body and soul, fussing with cake and ice cream, and David McMyers drinking coffee, his dark eyes peering at everyone in the dining room. Miss Hearn. Armand, we have been waiting for you. My dear friends, David. Here, sit down, sit down. Have you survived that wretched prison? Madame, it is good to see you. It has been so very long. I must not cry or my makeup will be ruined. I heard that you'd been released. Yes, just this afternoon. Mademoiselle, I suppose that you will not be staying here in Beirut. You will be going on to Cairo. I may, though I have no idea what I'll do when I get there. Then why go, Mademoiselle? Why go? I'm tired of Beirut, even before they put me in prison. I was weary of always waiting and watching. Waiting and watching is now the occupation of half the world. Till the land in the spring, gather the crop in the summer, spend the rest of the year waiting for another spring. I'm tired of waiting for another spring. Let us have an early spring this year. I want to do something that will hasten it. You would help to bring an early spring? I would, and gladly. If you're ambitious, mademoiselle, if you really want to be used... I do want to be used. Do you know of anyone who has a job for me? There you are, David. Ask her. Ask me what? I might have a job for you, Armand. What sort of a job? Do you think you could fascinate a distinguished old gentleman? Is he very old? I call him old from respect and affection. He'll always be young in heart. A charming gentleman. You'll like him. And how do you want me to fascinate him? I will tell you about that another time. I did not know what had happened to Davis Nakmeas during those months when the French kept me in prison. Could I trust the head of the Jewish agency? I had to know before I agreed to work for him. Whom could I ask? Who would tell me the truth? Next morning, I went out of my terrace, and there, sitting on the garden steps, was Sergeant Prayer, teaching one of the Lebanese page boys how to play a native flute. I hurried inside and downstairs through the hotel. As I came out into the garden, the page boy ran off, but the sergeant went right on with his music lesson. Did I frighten your pupil away before the lesson was finished? Oh, I, I wasn't teaching him. He was teaching me. He doesn't seem to have done a good job of it. Well, I'll keep the flute for a bit of practicing. Now then, were you looking for a page boy, Miss Hearn, or for me? Since you put it so bluntly, I wanted to see you. Well, if it's about that job, I've been making some inquiries, but as yet... No, no, it isn't about a job. I want some information. What sort of information? About a person, if you're allowed to give it to me. For you, dear lady, I'll be glad to overlook the rules. Whom do you want to know about? David Nakmias. Nakmias, so he's a good man. Thanked by generals, loved by his wife, liked by everyone. What would you like to know about him? Is he working for the British? For us, certainly not. He's too big a fellow for us to use, but he's trusted. No secret about that. Don't tell me that David Nakmias has offered you a job. 
What if he has? Is that any concern of yours? Well, no, I suppose not. Not yet. Good day, Sergeant Dale. Good day, Miss Hearn. She was annoyed at me, and without another word, she turned and went back into the hotel. Later that day, she started out on a shopping expedition. I followed at a distance, but finally lost her in one of the large bazaars. It wasn't too difficult losing the handsome sergeant. I slipped out a side entrance of the bazaar, hurried down a dark alley to another street, where I hired a carriage and drove across the city to the office of the Jewish agency. David McNeas was sitting at his desk, drinking his usual cup of black coffee. Could I offer you some refreshment? <laughs> black, without sugar. The only civilized way to drink coffee. It's good to see you again, my dear. I came to ask about the old gentleman you wanted me to fascinate. Your coffee. Thank you. Now, about the old gentleman. Of course, what I'm going to tell you is in the strictest confidence. Naturally. The old gentleman is the Sheik Wadir. Wadir? How much do you know about him? <laughs> Only that he's a myth, a legend. He's also a mountain chieftain. Not rich, not a politician, just chieftain of a clan. And Sheik Wadir has been buying arms, rifles, machine guns, weapons of every sort. And you want these guns? We can't force Wadir to give them up. He will swear that he has no guns, that it's all a malicious rumor. But I think they might be taken away from him quite unofficially if only he got his money back. I don't understand. To put it quite bluntly, Wadia might sell his guns if the right person approached him. And you think that I am the right person? I do. Why? The Wadia will know of you by reputation. Everyone has heard of the enchanting blonde mademoiselle who was interned as a British agent. I'm only part English, and I was never a British agent. That does not matter. Your passport is British. The Wadia is most chivalrous. He will consider your visit to his mountain retreat a great compliment. I have not said that I will go. Buying and selling guns seems to be the most awful crime. There will be no violence. You will be a charming visitor who comes to the Wadia with a business offer. I know the old boy. If you do not succeed, nobody ever will. But won't he think I'm being used to trap him? He will, at first. But you will quickly have his confidence. And then you can assure him, if you like, that it is no trap. The money for the guns will be paid to him by a British officer. The guns will be collected and taken away by British soldiers. David, I do not like this. Where else can you earn me, my dear? You'll find no work here in Beirut. Both British and French intelligence are curious as to your means of support. In fact, three French suspect that you're a Nazi agent. No, I detest the Germans. You can say that, but can you prove that you're not one of them? Even Sergeant Prale is suspicious. You know about Sergeant Prale? It is my business to know everything about everything. And do you believe that I'm a Nazi agent? I know, my dear, positively that you are not. You came out to the Near East to escape from the Germans when France was invaded. I flew here from Paris. With a certain Monsieur Calino, an airplane manufacturer. I was his secretary. When the French surrendered last year, Calino flew back to Paris. But you remained here in Beirut. I had no place to go. You are a lonely and a very beautiful woman. Without attachments. That makes you the perfect emissary to deal with Sheikh Wadir. Where would I find him? His headquarters is at Batshabab, a village high in the mountains of Lebanon. I will arrange an escort to drive you there. I have not said that I will go. When will you decide? I, I don't know. Time is precious, my dear. Phone me at the hotel tonight. I will have an answer for you. It is a difficult thing for a woman to be alone and without friends. Decisions are hard to make. When I returned to my hotel, I felt lost and helpless. 
I needed someone, someone who might give me a job. That was when I phoned Sergeant Prale. I was rather surprised when she called me, invited me to a hotel for supper, and I was even more surprised to find that she'd arranged for us to dine on the terrace outside her suites. We sat there in the soft eastern twilight, avoiding serious conversation. After a bit, I tried to get her to talk about herself. What do you want to know about me? Aren't all the facts in my dossier? Oh, no, not quite. <laughs> no? <laughs> What's missing? Where I was on a certain evening in the spring of 1934, I have no idea where I was. Oh, no, I mean things about you. For instance, your family. I was born in France. My parents took me to England when I was seven. Your mother was French? Part French. And your father? Part English and part Austrian and part, oh... <laughs> A good many other nationalities. I've always suspected that my father was also part gypsy. You've done much traveling. I was educated in Switzerland. I've lived in New York and Rome and Cairo and half the other cities of the world. Ah, I envy you your traveling. I'd hope to see a bit of the world myself. Here I am, I'm skin Beirut. That's an insistent little orchestra they have downstairs. Apparently it only knows that one tune. Roll out the bell. What's this you sing? A bit. Once when I was very broke, I made my living as an entertainer in a Viennese cafe. Oh, it's too bad there are no smart cafes here in Beirut. What am I going to do, Sergeant Prey? Have you been able to find a job for me? Oh, I'm sorry, not yet. I've asked several people if they knew of one, but I'm afraid there just aren't any. I must make some money or I'll not be able to pay my bills. Well, something will turn up. Something always turns up. Tell me, Sergeant, are you normally so, so aloof? I didn't realize that I was. You are tonight. I'm very sorry. I, I hadn't meant to be. Uh, shouldn't you answer your phone? You think I should? Well, yes, I, I, I do. Very well. Uh, no, 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 don't get up. I'll come right back. I really must get back to my billet. Yes? Yes. This is Armand Dern. David. David, I have made my decision. I accept your offer. Yes. I will leave for the mountains whenever you wish. In the morning, I shall be ready. When she returned from the telephone, her entire attitude had changed. I seemed no longer welcome. And so presently I excused myself and made my departure. Downstairs, I tried to check the telephone call which she had received, but without success. When I returned to my billets, I found that my superior officer, Captain Fernie, was entertaining the new representative of the Free French, Captain Montaigne. In his blue infantry cap, his pale khaki shorts and field boots, the Frenchman looked like a tired lantamer. Captain Fernie, you've been too easy on people here in Beirut. Take the ones whom the Vichy men released from prison last week. Some of them are certain to be Nazi sympathizers. Uh, but, uh, Captain Montaigne, all of them are being watched. How do these people live? Who pays their bills? For instance, take this woman, this Armand Dale. Armand Hearn? How does she manage, huh? Apparently she has no source of income, yet she lives at the best hotel. Uh, Prale here can answer your questions about Armand Hearn. Uh -huh. He's been assigned to keep track of her. Well, Sergeant Prale, what about this lady? Uh, I've been watching her ever since she was released from prison. <clears throat> her actions have been above suspicion. As for her money, I suspect she has none. At least her hotel bill is unpaid. Such a woman is most dangerous in wartime. She knows too much. Every young officer wants to confide in her. 
Well, she seems to have no friends. Uh, enough about Miss Hearn. I propose a toast. To France and to England. Vive l'Angleterre. Without France and England, there can be no Europe. May they always be good friends. They are much more than that, mon ami. They are passionate lovers. In the clear light of day, they often quarrel. But when night settles over Europe, they cling together. Uh, well, then, let us drink to shorter days and longer nights. Ah, mon capitaine, <laughs> I drink to that. Next morning, I overslept. When I finally dropped past Miss Hearn's hotel, it was early afternoon and she was gone. The desk clerk told me that she had left early in the morning with an overnight bag. By the end of the afternoon, I trailed her to a square where she'd been seen getting into an automobile. Nobody remembered the license plate or could identify the driver. For the moment, I had lost track of the lady. It was an all-day drive up and up into the mountains of Lebanon. Bat Shabbat was on top of a high ridge set among scattered pines. I had been told to take a room at the only inn, a primitive place, with red tile floors and dusty old-fashioned furniture. Sheikh Wadir had been notified of my visit, and that evening the old man arrived to pay his respects. Uh, Mademoiselle Hearn, when I heard from our friend David Nachnius that you were coming, I wished to place at your disposal a house of your own. But would that, I wonder, be quite proper? I never worry about conventions. However, I'm quite comfortable here at the hotel. The proprietor is one of my own clan. I've ordered him to anticipate your every wish. If you do not care for Lebanese food, he will give you French food. And if you do not care for French food, he will serve you English dishes. Uh, plum pudding every day. Please, please, not every day. I'm only parting this. Oh, so. I will enjoy whatever dishes are served to now, me. Now, mademoiselle, you are a very beautiful woman. Do you by any chance speak Arabic? Not a word, I'm afraid. Oh, you must learn. Uh, there is no language that can be compared to Arabic. Will you teach me your language? Willingly, mademoiselle, if you will remain here. I will remain as long as necessary. <laughs> Your home is magnificent, Sheik Wadir. I'm delighted that you admire it, mademoiselle. From this terrace, it seems that you can look across the entire world. Uh, mademoiselle is very beautiful tonight. That music, where does it come from? Some of my servants are entertaining themselves. It is strange music, filled with enchantment. Mademoiselle, you have been here now for more than a week. Has it been that long? Uh, why are you here? I feel that you have a purpose and that tonight you are ready to tell me that purpose. Perhaps. You have been quite right to delay. There's a coarseness in approaching the desire of the heart too hastily. Indeed, your courtesy is greater than mine. But then you are young. I am very old and have less time for courtesy. Why are you here, mademoiselle? Your friendship. Answered like a princess of Damascus. You already have my friendship, mademoiselle, and my devotion. What further use can I be to you? I have come to you for guns. Guns? The English need them. But, mademoiselle, I have no guns. Not enough to matter. Even a dozen machine guns make a difference now to the fighting in the desert of North Africa. So 
few means so much. Every gun is needed. Yeah, but I thought the British had thousands of tanks and hundreds of thousands of guns. They are not enough. If I had arms, any arms, I would give them to you. Then you will turn them over? I will indeed, to the last bullet. The English will be very grateful, and you shall be well paid. Oh, I want no money in return. Only, how can this be arranged? Any way you wish. I prefer to deliver everything discreetly, and only into British hands in return for an official receipt. That is how it shall be. I will turn the guns over to an officer, a major at least. With his own men and his own transport. Consider the matter settled. And now I suppose Mademoiselle will be leaving here, now that her mission is accomplished. You will forgive me. I will forgive a beautiful woman anything. I discovered that Armand Hearn had returned to her hotel in Beirut half an hour after she'd arrived. And 20 minutes later, I was knocking at the door of her suite. Sergeant Crail, I was expecting you. May I come in? Certainly. Thank you, Miss Hearn. Well, we are very formal today, aren't we? You've been away. Beirut depressed me. It's like a cemetery. And so you decided to play hide-and-seek among the tombstones. Does this mean, once again, you're calling on me in your official capacity? I've got to tell you at once that we know where you've been. It took us several days to pick up your trail, but we did it. I was certain that you would. We also know about the guns you coaxed from Sheikh Wadir. What we want to know is who got them and where are they? I can give you no information without instructions. Whose instructions? I don't think I should tell you that. It will save time and trouble if you'll answer my questions. In a moment, I shall get angry. Well, let's avoid getting angry. Just tell me who got the guns. You did. I? What are you talking about? You know very well. The guns were turned over to the British. Well, that's what Sheikh Wadia says, but believe me, it isn't true. What? We didn't get them. Then who did? That's what I want to know. You're telling me the truth. This isn't some kind of trick. Wadia has turned those guns over to someone, but not us. Look here, call whoever it was hired you to do this job. See what you can find out. I... I don't know what you're talking about. I've been up in the mountains for a change of scene. Nothing more. Miss Hearn, I... Really? Must we continue to be so formal? Armand. Dion, I have never before called you by that name. My darling. I missed you every hour that you were gone. Tonight, then. You're not acting on orders? Tonight? Now I'm quite on my own. My superiors have not discovered that you're back here in Beirut. You're very different when you are on your own. I will eventually have to report that you have returned. When will that be? Later. Tonight. And meanwhile? Meanwhile, we have this evening to ourselves. Then let's make it an exciting evening. An evening to remember. Yes. An evening to remember. It was indeed an evening to remember. We had dinner in one of the native cafes where no one would recognize us. And afterwards, I hired a carriage and we drove through the ancient city in the moonlight. Mount was wearing an evening wrap, spangled with sequins. Her hair was coiled like a golden helmet around her head. Her lips... His lips were firm and strong. They somehow gave me hope for the future. 
I had been alone all these years. But now I had found someone to give me strength and protection. It was indeed a night to remember. When Dion brought me back to the hotel, he promised to phone early the next morning. Instead, he appeared in person. When I opened my door, he was standing there, his eyes weary and his face haggard. He came into my suite without a word until the door was closed. Dion, what is it? I... I've come here against my will. I begged them to send someone else. What are you talking about? Armand, I must officially... I must officially ask you to leave Beirut. What are you saying? You have been blacklisted. Blacklisted? What does that mean? They say you are unwelcome here. Why, Dion? Why? What have I done? Can't I be cleared? Couldn't there be some sort of inquiry to show that whatever I have done, I've done innocently? My advice is leave here immediately. If not, you may be imprisoned again. Oh, no. Why not go to Cairo? Don't you have friends there? None. There's a pal of mine you could look up in Cairo, Major Honeymill. Everybody calls him Toots. Tell him I said for you to get in touch with him. You will go to Cairo. There's no need for me to remain here, where I'm not wanted. I want you to stay, believe me. There's nothing I want so much. Poor Dion. I want you to stay with all my heart. Perhaps we shall meet again, after the war, if we are still alive. Oh, don't say such things. Armand. Dion. We will meet again. Say it, we will meet again. Yes, my darling. We will. Studio One, radio-celebrated playhouse of dramatic entertainment, you are hearing Miss Marlena Dietrich, starring in Arabesque, a version for listening by Vincent McConnor, based on the Jeffrey Household novel. Our story will resume after the customary pause for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Studio One, we continue tonight's full hour dramatic entertainment. Miss Marlena Dietrich stars in Fletcher Markle's production of Arabesque. I had not relished ordering Armand Hearn to leave Beirut. Unfortunately, my superiors gave me no alternative. They had no way of knowing that I had fallen in love with this curious girl whom everyone suspected of being a spy. For the next 24 hours, I found it impossible to settle down to my regular duties. My only thought was Armand Hearn, a stranger in the strange city of Cairo. Cairo gave me no welcome that summer of 1941. The city was white hot beneath a copper sun. I hired a taxi at the railroad station and drove from hotel to hotel. But every place I went, I was given the same answer. Please, 
Yes, madame? I would like a small suite. Sorry, madame. Then a room. We have no vacancies at the moment. Where can I go? I've already tried to get in five other hotels. Cairo is crowded. There are no rooms. Is there a telephone I could use? Certainly, madame. There is a public phone in the corridor. You're too kind. Major Honeymill? Speaking. I... I'm a friend of Sergeant Prale's in Beirut. Friend of Dean's? Oh, how is the old chap? Quite well when I left him in Beirut yesterday. He... he told me to phone you if I needed help. Oh, good old Dean. I've been in Cairo less than an hour, and I do need help. A beautiful woman in distress. Why do you think that I'm beautiful? With a voice like that, dear lady, you must be ravishing. How can I help you? I've been to half a dozen hotels, but I can't find a room. Where are you now? A wretched place called uh, the Hotel Globe. Oh, stay right there. I'll send a staff car for you. You know of somewhere I can stay? Of course. I have a friend with a tremendous apartment. You can live there as long as you wish. But, Major... Don't make a move until my car picks you up. Cheerio. Come in. Come in, Toots. I'm just dressing. It's me. Armand Ham. Who? Didn't Major Honeymill telephone? Oh, Toots never phones. He's impossible. Well, hello. I'm Armand Ern. And I'm Harry Laxeter. Have you come to stay with me? Well, yes. <laughs> That's lovely. Put your bags down and make me a drink while I finish dressing. Are you any good at a martini? I make a fine martini. Well, you'll find the things in the cupboard. It would be good to have somebody living here. This apartment's much too large for one person. I keep telling Toots that I don't need such a huge place. How long have you known Toots? I, well... I only phoned him this morning. I've never actually met him. Maiden in distress, is that it? In a way. Isn't Toots delicious? What do you mean? He put me up here when I ran away from my husband, and now he's putting you up. I hope you don't mind. Mind? Not a bit. As long as you don't fall in love with Toots. I promise that I won't. We'll see. You'll understand when you meet him. Toots is an angel. He's no friend of my brother's. He seems to be everybody's friend. Yes, I suppose he is. Well, now, let's try those martinis. We'll drink to Toots. We will, indeed. Carrie Laxeter needn't have worried. I liked Toots tremendously, but he wasn't beyond Prale. He wasn't as dashing, nor somehow as sincere. But whenever I was with Major Toots, I was constantly thinking of Dion, hearing his voice. When Toots laughed, I heard Dion laughing. <laughs> well, that the blinking fool drove his jeep right off the bridge. <laughs> you should have seen it. I say, these martinis are first rate. I'm very glad, Major Honeymill. He says I can't make a decent drink. Don't call him Major. That's right. Everybody calls me Toots. Huh? <laughs> very well. That's the girl. Carrie, what's in the larder? Very little. Can't we go out for dinner? I was hoping we might all eat in. Oh, but I'm such a rotten cook. Why not let me see what's in the icebox? I'm an excellent cook. You? I thought you were so... Helpless? Dew and rose petals in the dust. Why, Major... I beg your pardon? Toots. Armand, you're a dangerous woman. Don't worry. I promised I wouldn't fall in love with him, and I won't. Well, now, look here. You never called me dew and rose petals in the dust. Didn't I, darling? No, you never did. And if I didn't like Armand so much, I'd probably shoot you. You be a good girl and answer that telephone. Well, if it's a message for you to come back to headquarters... Won't be for me. I'm going to tell them that I haven't seen you all evening. Yes? Who? Oh, yes. Uh, Just a moment. 
Armand, it's for you. But nobody knows I'm here. I've told no one. Who could it be? It's a man. Here, talk to him and find out. Thanks. Yes? This is Armand Anne. Who? How did you find I was here? Oh. Yes, I I could see you later. Where? Yes, yes. I'll be there. I had hoped when I went to the phone that it would be on prayer calling, calling from Beirut. Instead, it was the voice of the man who had started the entire chain of events which brought me to Egypt. He was in Cairo and he wanted to see me. But I wanted to see beyond Prail, not David Nachmius. Mademoiselle, we meet again. David, what are you doing in Cairo? Sit here, my dear. I've already ordered coffee. I wanted to talk to you before I left Beirut, but there was no time. I tried to reach you. I know, I know. David, you must help me to clear myself. The British authorities have blacklisted me because of what I did. You must tell them that I was acting for you. I'm afraid that's quite impossible. What happened to those guns? The British say they never got them. They were collected by soldiers in British uniforms. Then what is all the fuss about? The uniforms were British, but the soldiers were not. What were they then? They were to have been our men in British uniform. But someone else had the same idea. The guns were gone before our chaps arrived. Then who got them? We suspect they were taken by some of the Vichy French. Which means the Nazis will have them. They will, unless we can get them back. Then I was a failure in what I did. You were quite successful, mademoiselle. The failure was ours. Now, I've come to Cairo to try and find what happened to those guns. Why, Cairo? There is someone I've followed here. You must let me help you. If you trace what became of those guns, keep them from the Nazis, I will be cleared. Who is it you have followed here? His name? All in good time. But you will let me help you? Perhaps, mademoiselle. Perhaps. If I cleared myself, I would then be able to return to Beirut, to Dion Prail. But I was frightened once again. Could I believe David Nachmius? Or was there some trick? There was no one I could ask for advice. No one in Cairo I could trust. Like Dion Prail. I received a detailed report on Armand's meeting with David Nachmius. My superiors were curious as to what was happening in Cairo. Armand was under constant surveillance. Our men were ordered to check on everyone she met, including the English girl with whom she was staying, Carrie Lexington. I won't hear another word of this. But, Carrie, I've got to earn my living, pay my share of the expenses. Oh, nonsense, you can pay me back later. I can't go on like this. Seems only a few days, Armand, since you arrived in Cairo. I've been here three weeks, Toots, and you know it. Well, what's three weeks in a lifetime? You'll find a job. I thought I might get one singing in a nightclub. I've done that before. If I don't find a job, I have to move up. Singing in a nightclub? You'll do nothing of the sort. I want you here with Carrie. I'll not worry if I know she has company while I'm away. Toots, where are you going? Well, they're sending me into the desert. How, how long will you be gone? I don't know. Depends upon Rommel. I'll stay, Toots. Don't worry about Carrie. I'll be with her until you come back. Well, then, I won't have to worry. When are you leaving? Tonight. So soon? This means that the war's moving closer. Toots, have you heard anything from Sergeant Prail? Dear, not a word since your arrival. I certainly thought he'd write and ask about you. I wonder if he'll be sent into the desert, too. Very likely. There's going to be quite a push. I hope he'll be safe, Sergeant Dion Prail. 
And for an encore, I would like to do a song which might be a theme for the city of Cairo. Illusions. Want to buy some illusions Slightly used Second hand They were lovely illusions Reaching high Built on sand They had a touch Of paradise A spell you can't explain But in this crazy paradise You are in love with pain Want to buy some illusions Slightly used Just like new Such romantic illusions And they're all about you I sell them all for a penny They make pretty souvenirs Take my lovely illusions Some for love Some for tears Yes. There is an Englishman, the one in the white suit, sitting at the corner table. He wishes you to join him. Tell the Englishman that I never sit with guests. He, he asked me to say that he is from Beirut. From Beirut? Thank you. I will go to him. Come on. Come on. Oh, Dion. Oh, sit down, please. When did you get to Kyle? Just this afternoon. What are you doing here? How did you find me? Waiter! Oui, monsieur. A bottle of champagne. Oui, monsieur. Oh, your song was wonderful. Thank you. Why are you singing in a place like this? I had to work. Your people have blacklisted me so that I couldn't find anything else. Well, we have a job for you. What? That's why I was sent here to Cairo to talk to you. What kind of a job? Oh, the real goods, cloak and dagger. Sounds dangerous. Well, so dangerous that I hope you won't take it. Which means that you're quite sure I will take it. Monsieur? Ah, here we are. Your wine, monsieur. Ah. Ah, I haven't tasted champagne in months. Mademoiselle. Thank you. How do you like Cairo? It is a frightened city, perching on the edge of the wall. Your champagne, monsieur. Thank you. Will there be anything more? Nothing, thanks. Thank you. I drink to you, Armand. And I drink to your stay in Cairo. Let's both drink to that. Now... What is it that you wish me to do? We want you to stay behind here in Cairo if we lose Egypt. You think the British will be defeated in the desert? We have to plan for every eventuality. But you do not trust me. You have me blacklisted. You were blacklisted so that everyone would think that the British had no further use for you. What? You were discredited as a part of our plan. We knew that David Nachmias sent you to get those guns. We also know that he never got them. Then I'm not really blacklisted. Quite the contrary. The blacklisting is what makes you so useful to us. We've spread it all over the Near East that you have been discredited. The Nazis will hear about you long before they reach Cairo, if they ever do. Whose side am I supposed to be on? Vichy French, which means you're a Nazi sympathizer. But anyone who knows me knows that I'm not. Does anyone really know you? No, I suppose not. I avoid people, even here in this cafe. 
something you mustn't do. No? We believe that someone will approach you. I don't know who or where. Someone who will try to use you. Someone who knows what became of those missing guns. And what do I do when this someone appears? You'll receive your instructions at the proper time. Oh, now then. Let's forget about this sort of thing. Let's get a taxi and drive out into the country. Don't tell me you want to see the pyramids by moonlight. I want to see you by moonlight. Shall we get out and walk for a bit? Good. Wait here, forest driver. I wait. What a wonderful night. Yes. You belong to the night. Do I? Your twilight, moonlight, and starlight. That's rather nice. I wonder why I was ever frightened of you. Or I of you. Were you? When we first met. I've been lonely for so long. All my life, I've been alone. You'll never be alone again. That is a wonderful thought. Never to be alone again. Are you still up? I'm, I'm packing. Packing? Where are you going? All British women are to be evacuated, except essential workers. What? They're sending us to South Africa, first thing in the morning. You and I will leave together and stay together. But I won't be going. Oh, nonsense. You've got a British passport. You can't dream of staying here. Get your bags out and start packing. No, I'm serious. I'm staying in Cairo. But, darling, you can't. You seem to forget that I've been discredited by the British. They won't send me to South Africa. Oh, I had forgotten about that. Why... You might even be interned. I've been interned before. I don't believe that Rommel would get Cairo. And I don't believe the British are defeated. Anyway, I'll stay here. Whatever happens. It's very quiet here above the city. I don't like our meeting this way, Dion. Secretly, in a hidden place. But we can't be seen together. Even David Nachmius mustn't know that I'm in touch with you. I haven't heard from David since last week. And no one else has contacted you? No one. They will. You're singing at the cafe. They'll find you. Ah, mademoiselle. Monsieur, you sent this note to my dressing room asking me to join you. Please, sit down. I will order wine. I do not make a habit of sitting with the customers. Just this once. Please. Very well. Merci, mademoiselle. I'm your servant. Now, what shall we drink? I always prefer champagne. Yes. Waiter, bottle of champagne. As was, monsieur. Monsieur is a stranger in Cairo. I've only recently arrived here. May I present myself? My name is Macrissi. And why did you ask me to join you, Monsieur Macrissi? It's very lonely, one's first night in a strange city. It is lonely. Every night in a strange city, unless you have friends. I trust that Mademoiselle will be my friend. You should see, Monsieur. You should see. Armand! Armand, where are you? Here, on the terrace. Oh, here you are. I say, is something wrong? I found a note from Carrie when I got home. 
Toots is dead. Toots? They notified Carrie. He was killed last week. The war moves on. Well, I'm sure our Toots died a hero, bless him. Poor Carrie. She loved him so. What will become of her? I suppose after the war she'll go back to England. After the war? If that's so far away. I wish I knew. I do know that something's about to happen. I don't know what or where. You can sense it in little things and things left unsaid and unexplained. Dion, I, I made a new friend at the cafe tonight. It, it may be the man you're after. Who is he? What's he look like? He calls himself Mr. Macrisi. Macrisi? Never heard of him. His accent is French, but his appearance is that of a native. Dark skin, black hair, which I suspect is dyed. What did he ask? What did he want? Nothing. We made the usual small talk. Nothing definite. You're seeing him again? Yes. He said he would be back tomorrow night. I was right. Something is about to happen. Where are we going, Mr. McCreasy? I have a little house, a garden edge with poplar trees. It's always cool there. But it is quite late. See, Mademoiselle, and I must talk with you where we will not be disturbed. Very well. I will come with you. We will talk. I watched them, Armand and the stranger, climb into a taxi. I managed to get a carriage and set off after them through the native quarter. But in the twisting alleys and dark streets, my driver soon lost track of them. Our taxi stopped in front of a large building on the waterfront. Mr. McCreasy paid the driver and helped me down to the street. He knocked at the great door and, when it swung open, motioned me inside. A dark figure drew back as we walked down a narrow hall. Mr. McCreasy led me through the house to a high ceiling room which looked out upon the river. You shall be quite comfortable here, mademoiselle. I will sit here at the desk and you can rest there in the large chair. Thank you. Now then, shall we drop our masks? I did not know that we were wearing masks, monsieur. I introduced myself to you as Mr. Macrisi. Yes? Actually, I'm Captain Montagne. What? Rest assured, mademoiselle, I too am a friend of Vichy. I see. When I came to Beirut, I was wearing the uniform of the three French. But I was there only to confuse the stupid three French. It was I who arranged for the taking of the guns you obtained for David Nachman. They are, I might add, safely stored in this very building. Here? In they were brought here, packed in cases of wool. Tomorrow they will be sent by sea to aid Rommel in his campaign against the British. Oh. You were most oh. helpful in the matter of those guns, mademoiselle. The British discredited you for what you did. But believe me, we of Vichy are most grateful. I am very glad. We are grateful for what you've done in the past. We are hopeful that in the future you will work for us again. I do not believe in planning for the future. Mademoiselle, the future belongs to us. To you and to me. We are on the side of the victors. Why can we not share the future together? I do not understand. Mademoiselle, I've adored you since I first saw you in Beirut. I was delighted to learn that you too are for Vichy and for Germany. After the war, I shall be a rich man. I can offer you position and power as well as my affection. But, monsieur, we barely know each other. I know, mademoiselle, that you're the most beautiful woman I've ever... Is something wrong? One moment, mademoiselle. Why have you taken that gun out of your desk? Someone is standing behind you, hidden by the draperies. If they do not step out from behind them at once, I shall send a bullet through them. Oh, no. Have no fear, mademoiselle. David. Monsieur Nathan. I followed you from Beirut, Captain Montan. 
I've been here for several hours waiting for you to return. You heard what I've just said to Mademoiselle Anne? You work for Vichy. The guns are stored here in this building. Every word. I shall have to kill you. No! Do not fear, Mademoiselle. I've gone out to my death too often to have any fear of dying. As for you, Captain Montan, are you afraid of death? What do you mean? You are already dead, Captain Montan, like all traitors. You have been dead for a long time. David! Now, Mademoiselle, we must leave it at once. There is a ship on the river. Our guns are being loaded aboard. We will sail in the morning and deliver them to General Rommel. Captain Montaigne grasped my arm and led me through a narrow hall to a steep flight of stairs. It led down to the back entrance of the house. Presently, we were moving across a covered pier. By the flickering lights of many lanterns, I could see men loading cases aboard a dark ship. In another moment, I would be aboard that ship, sailing away from Cairo. There was only one thing I could do. What is it, mademoiselle? Why do you stop here? I cannot go with you. But you must, mademoiselle. I can't leave you behind. I will not go. There is much for us to do, I swear. For Vichy and for France. You mean for Vichy? Yes, for Vichy. You're not a Frenchman. David Nacknius was right. You are a traitor. Mademoiselle, what are you saying? I am saying that for France. Free France. Vive la France! Vive la France! Be quiet. If you cause a disturbance, I will not hesitate to shoot you. That would only bring the police. Your ship would not sail. I would have to take that chance. Vive la France! Mademoiselle, I warned you. Hey! Mademoiselle! It's possible. You have been... Armand, are you hurt? The only one, thank God for you. I followed you here, lost your taxi, then found it again, saw where Montaigne brought you. This place is surrounded by our men. You led us to the missing guns. David is dead. David? Captain Montaigne shot him. Oh, Leon, why did David have to die? Why? Well, his death has not been in vain. Now Montaigne is dead, we have the guns. That's what David would have wanted. Hold me close, Leon. My darling. Come, we'll find a carriage and I'll take you home. Come on. You're not saying anything. I'm thinking about things. About us? About many things. So am I. What's ahead of us, Leon? No one can tell. There's a war to finish before anything else. And after the war? Perhaps then we can start a new life somewhere, anywhere. We'll have time to live our dreams. I never used to believe in dreams. Perhaps that was because I never had anyone to share them with. And now? Now I believe in you. And even if we can only dream, we can dream together. Studio One at CBS, you have just heard Miss Marlena Dietrich, starring in Fletcher Markle's production of Arabesque by Jeffrey Household. Another of the world's great stories from Radio's celebrated playhouse of dramatic entertainment. 
Tonight's script was prepared by Vincent McConnor, and the original musical score was composed by Lana Domian and conducted by Alfredo Antonini. Now again, Mr. Markle. May a producer identify the principals in our cast tonight in the foreground. Armand M. Was played, of course, by Miss Dietrich, soon to be seen starring in the Paramount picture, A Foreign Affair, in which she sings Illusions, a new song which you heard on the program tonight. David Nachmius. Was Gary Merrill. Calaxeter. Was played by Rene Ray. Captain Honeymill. Was Hadley Rennie. Captain Montagne. Was Joe DeSantis. Chiquadea. Was played by Alan Devitt. Miriam Wolfe, Gregory Morton, Ivor Francis, John Merlin, and George Breen were heard in active assistance. Sergeant Dion Prale was played by your producer. Next week from Studio One, a comedy, internationally remembered and as fresh and lively today as when it was first produced. Our story is Topaz by Marcel Pagnol. And our star is that illustrious citizen of Hollywood and Broadway, Mr. Claude Rains. We hope you'll be with us. Till next week, then, until Topaz starring Claude Rains, this is Fletcher Markle with a good night and thank you from all of us in Studio One. This is Lee Dunn from Mr. CBS, where 99 million people gather every week for Columbia Broadcasting System. You have been listening to the Old Time Radio Hour, broadcast each week over the World Wide Web. You can subscribe at no charge through iTunes, Podbean, or RSS. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another hour of entertainment from Studio One. Until then, this is your host, Justine Ward, saying so long for a while. (laughs) 